Hi, welcome to Book Bites, the new podcast from Calibre Audio, where we dive into books that leave a lasting impact. I'm your host, Jack, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Emma and Denise. Hello. We're discussing the Pulitzer Prize winning novel, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. Released in 2014, this book has captivated readers with its poetic storytelling and detailed exploration of the struggles from people on both sides during World War II. We follow the lives of two young individuals, Mary Law, a blind French girl, and Werner, a German orphan with a gift for engineering. The non-linear structure follows their conflicts, their relationships and their journeys far from home, all of which intertwine with the ever-present war. With over 15 million copies sold and a Netflix series due later this year, Doe's War Novel has been an undeniable success. In this episode, we'll explore the book's themes and characters, and we'll also touch specifically on the inclusion of visual impairment in the book and ask our members to reflect on their experience. So hi, ladies. Thank you for joining. Let's start with um, some three-word reviews, shall we? What did we think about the book? Emma, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so um, I I struggle to get it down into three words, um, which would be no surprise to those of you that know me. But um, in the in in effect, I came up with sombre. So that to me was the mood of the book. So it felt it felt quite a sombre um, uh, as you, as you're kind of reading through, um, reflective as well. So it really made me think. It, it actually what I love about a book is if it not only it makes me think, but also it makes me want to go on and research more about the topic and the place. Um, and that certainly did it with the the setting for here uh, and what what had gone on. Um, and also purely and simply epic so I'm saying epic both in the size of the book because it's quite a long book but also the the epic in the many strands there's so many different themes and um just and characters as well but but there's more than just the war happening and the relationships um and there's another sort of strand of a theme going on with the the jewel and and the uh, mystery of that as well so yeah that that's my three words I think I want to come back to somber that's interesting Denise we'll go to Bye. you um, so my three words are descriptive. I mean, that was the real strength of the book. Very descriptive. It was visual. That's my other word. Descriptive and visual. So it's no surprise it's being dramatised for uh, television. And then thirdly, interesting, because I learnt a lot about the Hitler youth and young adolescents joining Hitler Youth and being educated by them to, to fight in the war. And, I, and that was really uh, interesting and something I'd like to learn a bit more about. That's really interesting. So, so obviously we've got the novel approaches the war from two sides and actively tries to find some degree of sympathy as you're saying Denise with the with the hippie youth we follow young Werner who discovers a bit of a gift for fixing radios and um, then is faced with a choice about joining the hippie youth and what that will mean for him and you kind of get this sense of how easily he sort of falls into it despite that sort of struggle did did you did you feel like that was an appropriate approach to the novel to 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 include someone 
to to include that degree of sympathy towards someone in the Hitler youth like that? I thought it was. Um, you've got your innocence on both sides of a, a war, really, and also you've got the the degree of compulsion that people have to do certain things or terrible things are going to happen to them. And I'm not sure how much of a choice Werner had. He didn't know what he was letting himself in for, basically. But also, yes, he was he was an orphan in a orphanage, didn't really have any choice. So off he went along with lots of others. Yeah, and I, I just add to that. So I, um, one of my interests is actually World War One and World War Two. So I read a lot of uh, non-fiction, but also fiction novels based on this area as well. So I haven't read, you know, I'm not by no means an expert, I haven't read everything. But what I found most interesting about this was the fact that, again, um, we've got it from Werner's side, so that the German point of view and a, and a young boy at that as well, um, because I'd only ever read, uh, I think, All Quiet on the Western Front that had done that before for me. Obviously, that's World War One. Um, so for me, that's what held my interest with his story, because it was so. And you can really see the pull of, you know, how it's affecting him. He, he's got a sister who is, you know, she, she's dead against everything that's happening and um, sees the wrong everywhere. And, and he's obviously going off to, to do exactly the opposite of, of, of that in terms of um joining the Hitler Youth and what they stand for and, and the discipline and the, the the just that kind of indoctrination, really. And he's torn between, you know, he's always got his sister's voice in his head while he's carrying out these these things. And, you know, he's there are to do punishments to other uh, other uh, members of the Hitler Youth as well. Um, and it's that that stood out for me. It's that kind of internal struggle, because, again, he's just a kid, you know, and he's faced with this. And it's, it's that... It went, what what makes that more powerful for me is you realise you're you're reading about a fictional character, but this could be any, you know, young German boy at that time because that's it, it, you're reading about in its essence you're reading about real life. This could be someone's um, real story, you know, and that's that's what had. Did either of you find either Marylaw or Werner either more relatable or even more enjoyable to read? I think. Um... Werner's story was more interesting for that reason and I'm not sure that Marie's Law's personality came across. I mean the book is very much like I say it's very descriptive it doesn't dwell very much on what people are thinking so I don't think you get quite a, a strong picture of their personalities apart from what they do so for that reason I think Werner sort of came off the page a bit more because of what he was exposed to as well and, and the things he had to do and the things he saw. Um, so he, he is, he's more vivid in my mind. Interestingly, so so out of the the two of them, obviously, uh, uh, you know, Werner did have the most impact on me. But if we're just looking at a couple of other characters at, um, as well. So actually who stood out for me and he's not in the story a huge amount but it was Frederick um Werner's friend who yes. he meets in Hit the Youth and he is just this you know he he I guess um agile being exposed to this world that just isn't him you know he's a bird watcher he loves the creativity of nature and the you know being out in nature and he's he's a gentle soul I suppose is what you would mm. say um, and there's a particular point in the novel where they're um, asked by a, their commander to, they pull out, a, um, I think it's a prisoner of war, and they're asked to throw icy cold buckets of water over him in the, the, and it's kind of winter and obviously he's, he's been 
punished and he's, he's not doing very well anyway. Um, so all of them have to line up and throw these buckets of water over him. And when it gets to Frederick, he just puts down his bucket of water and says, no, I will not do it. And I had such an intake of breath at that moment because I, that could only be bad for him, you know, but he he wasn't an outwardly confident person. You know, he was the sort of person that would be in the, the corner of a room watching everyone. But actually, he stood up and he said no. And I just thought he was, for me, the most powerful character in that that book, really. Um, so, yeah. It's him I keep thinking about. That's really interesting. So that's that's yeah. a sort of a secondary character is actually the one that stuck with you more than the central mm-hmm. characters. That's quite interesting. How how did you both find? Um, obviously, we we what we what we've got here is a very long book, but that's sort of tried to tackle that by very short, very snappy chapters that that I that I found um, Moorish. I suppose is the only word that I can think of. I found myself getting to the end of a chapter so quickly that I was quite keen to keep to keep going and actually end up reading more. How, how did you both find that? Yes, I think it, it kept you going and, and so the momentum sort of sped up because you were having short almost, you know, snaps of where people were and what they were doing. And you wanted to know what was going to happen next, but you knew you'd have to wait a few more chapters to get back to the bit you yeah. were just reading so I think that did sort of keep you going through the book which like you mentioned is is very long and I think if the chapters had been any longer it would have been probably a struggle to keep going. Yeah I agree I think that that format was a winner for me um, I mean I actually I managed to sort of devour it in a couple of days because of that I think because I think if it hadn't have been like that I'd have probably got a bit more bogged down in it and I wouldn't have been so keen to go back to it but I think that style is actually um, and that's I'm not keen to go back to it because not because the story is good because it is good but I think it's so it feels a bit heavy even though it's it's not you know um so and I think by doing it in those chapters that for me was yeah that was definitely one of the things that kept me reading so yeah I I think generally as a not a you know I do read but not massively I think I'd have really struggled with a book of that length in a more traditional format but I, I think the snappiness and the poetic kind of nature of the of the um of the narrative really helped to just sort of keep things going what about the what about the more fictional side of it you know obviously we sorry the fantasy side of it with uh, Mary Law and the um, stone that she's given by her father the cursed stone did that did that aid the story being you know so grounded in reality but also with this fantasy element did that aid the story did it hinder it for you Emma? I think, uh, to be honest, and I love this sort of thing usually, I have to say, but for me, I think it was just one strand too many um, mm-hmm. because it just, you know, you kept coming back to it. So it was it was obviously a, a very, it wasn't an integral part because you've got this, um, you know, you've got is it Von Rumpel, I think, who's searching for the stone. So you've got this German um, guy who's been employed to sort of try and find and track the actual um, real stone down. So, and, and that's, uh, an element of sort of suspense as well because once he gets to where Mary Law is, is kind of staying and, and there's there's an element of will he find it won't he um but uh, yeah I don't I it just I, I think for yeah just for me it was it just it had just gone too far it was just one thing I don't think I don't think because I don't think it necessarily added to the story so if you took that out you'd still have a really good book if you know what I mean. Exactly how I felt about it. I felt like if you removed it, w- what would actually change about it? Denise, you're nodding. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Everything you've said, I quite agree. I think it didn't sit well with the fact that you knew the rest of it was based on fact. And so it was a bit of a, hmm, what's that mm. all about? So, yeah, agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it necessarily took anything away from my enjoyment of it. I just found it a little jarring to have, you know, the, it's so, I mean, Werner's story particularly is so brutal in places in, in its reality and to, it, it almost felt like it was trying to kind of lighten the mood with that sort of fantasy element I'm not I'm not sure it quite did that for me should we have a review we've we, we've had some reviews from our members so thank you very much for submitting those um don't forget also if you want to leave any comments about the book um you can call our caliber book line on 01296 380553 this one here from uh, Linda. Linda says, I've listened to All the Light We Cannot See and loved it so much I've recommended it to all of my friends. I thought the way the two main characters' story developed separately, then start to intertwine, and finally briefly meet was clever and kept me interested in trying to work out how it was all going to come together. Uh, it would be interesting to hear a blind person's view on whether or not they think the girl who learns to navigate her own town is plausible. We'll come to that later. What about the um, Linda saying interesting how it was trying to work out how it all came together i don't know that i quite felt it was so uh not quite like a murder mystery for me in terms of how it was all going to come together what did you get that sense emma yeah i, I think uh, uh, so for me because I, I always read uh, when i'm reading I, I read for the story first and foremost so i don't tend to unpick it um until actually afterwards so i don't i know sort of some, some people do it as they go along but I, everything tied up quite nicely for me even so so at the end I didn't feel I felt really satisfied and it wasn't a read when I said, said the book was sombre um that that wasn't um in a bad way it just made me really it, it's the it set the story so sombre to me was a perfect word for the story um but because of the the setting and the atmosphere um and and the people you know they they're going through really tough times so that they're, they're the the way they acted and what they're doing they're, they're not they're not in happy places so that it's it just really felt true to me that that um that description so yeah i i for me the the story actually tied up quite nicely and again actually the only thing i didn't don't think tied up nicely interestingly was the 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 narrative of the the, the stone the gem um and so that's why again i think maybe it could be you know if it wasn't there it wouldn't bother me so much really so um yeah yeah so so um the the, the story came the idea for the story came about from the author sitting on a train uh, in Europe, I think he said he was, and and, and the, the phone had cut out. You've got it in front of you. Yeah, so it's, so it's um, he, he's actually he's on a train um, in New Jersey, New York. OK, I've got that completely wrong. Then. So, uh, no, it was, it, <laughs> but he um, he was actually interesting. So he was listening to someone talk on his mobile phone about the film The Matrix. So, you know, obviously he's dropping in that. Um, and he remembered it very clearly because as he was going into a tunnel, the call dropped and he got the guy, the guy on the phone got really, really angry. Um, and that's what he what he's saying. It got him thinking because he said he's you know, he wanted to say to that guy, 
don't you realize what a miracle it is? You've got a tiny little plastic box in your hand and you're managing to talk to someone, you know, wherever they are about a film series. And it, that's just still such a, a miraculous invention, you know. And I th- and then that got him to thinking and about the whole sort of concept and beginnings of radio and, and you know, what that, that did for, for, for everyone in the world. And, and just the tran- um, the transportation of information. You know, can you imagine now like, what, what that would be, what would have been like? Um, those first sort of hearing for the first time, we take it for granted, but, you know, imagine the first time someone got a link to someone, phoned someone, got some, got some, heard someone hearing that there was, there was another world out there through the, the medium of radio. It must have wouldn't, wouldn't have been quite so exciting if Werner was communicating uh, via Microsoft Teams, would it? I don't think it. <laughs> That wouldn't, wouldn't have had quite the same impact for me, I don't think. But 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 the author has also said that he um, that, that one of the ambitions for the book was to to write a war novel in a new way. And I'm just wondering if we feel like he achieved that. Did you did you feel like it was a new approach to a war book, Denise? Um, I didn't think it was entirely new because we've got books like Old Quiet on the Western Front and what have you. It wasn't your typical war novel in the sense, you know, the goodies and the baddies, because you've obviously got, you know, some on each side. Um, And it was, but it was interesting, like I said before, to listen to Werner's story. Um, And also it reminded me of books like Alone in Berlin by Hans Fallada, where the focus is entirely on uh, ordinary German people uh, who are against Nazism. Uh, So you see the other side of the war, if you like. Um, And also, another book I want to read is uh, All the Broken Places by John Boyne. And that's the sequel to The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. And that is the story of the daughter of the commandant of a concentration camp but 70 years on. So that's definitely on my to read list. So, yes, it, it, it was it was not your usual war book. So, yeah, it, it was a new new way, not entirely new, but yeah. Should we have should we have another review? We've got another one from a member here. This is from Diane. I absolutely loved this book. It was so beautifully written, which made it such a pleasure to listen to. The characters were very well described, which drew you into the story. I also liked the way that the story crisscrossed and met and departed again. The chapters were short, which made it easy to listen to a bit at a time. I listened to all the light we cannot see as I have ME and find reading difficult, but the other members of the book club that I am in read it and was universally loved. And I do I do think that it, it has been quite universally loved, generally speaking. I mean, it's quite hard to, um, I, mean, I mean, we do we do have an interesting take on the book from a blind person that we'll go into in a minute. But it, the, the universal acclaim, you know, obviously it's been an award winner. It's got the Netflix series, which I believe um, actually a trailer has just dropped for that um and and that comes out in november on netflix it's quite hard to find really harsh criticism of it online there's such an awful lot of praise from it do you feel like it's earned that praise emma I do in the terms of I think it's a, just a really good story and that's that's the heart of it and I think that's why one of the reasons it's been so popular with book groups as well um if I'm if I'm pushed to it I I wouldn't necessarily have it as a prize winner um because it obviously won the Pulitzer Prize but yeah. that 
yeah, but that's my see. But it's also because I actually looked up to see what the criteria was to win the Pulitzer Prize, and that there isn't any. It's just obviously <laughs> what, 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 a judging panel thing. But that's yeah, that's the beauty of of those sort of awards and that because it is it's a whole different group of people with different tastes and that's the beauty of book groups and and things like this where everyone's going to have a different opinion on the book and take something to it and I would absolutely recommend it um in terms of just get it you know if 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 you like that sort of epic saga type story it's got everything that you'd want in it you know it's it's just in that respect so it it would win you know, it would win my heart if if I if you were pushed to me and said, could you name five good stories? I'd put that in it. You know, that's, that's one of the yeah. So in that respect, it's definitely worthy of of um yeah of, of my recommendation from that. Got another another review here. This is from uh, Eleanor on our Facebook page. Don't forget that you can always leave comments and messages on there. Uh, Brilliant. I think I've read or listened to it twice. It was very well read on audio. I felt the portrayal of the young blind child was excellent. It showed from the author who'd done uh, a lot of research thoroughly on blindness and handled it in a very sensitive manner. Um, nice to hear that it's played well on audio. Denise, I don't suppose you listened to the audio book, did you? I did, yes. Um, it's how, a... how, did you, how did you find it in the audio format? Yes, the, I think it was Janet McTeer. She's a professional actress. She recorded it. It was very, very nice recording. It did make me smile a couple of times. She had excellent German and French language skills, so they sounded really authentic. Um, the one thing that made me smile was uh, where they were talking about, oh, right at the beginning, and talking about a so song called Pistol Packing Mama. And, and she said, Pistol Packing Mama, which had me in fits of laughter but <laughs> apart from that it was brilliant so no the the uh the narration was very very good that's the beauty of the audio as well isn't it, it brings other elements to life in the book um and that's yeah that's that's kind of um what's what's great about it and having having the right narrator for the right story so so we have um we we wanted to provide a bit of a different perspective on this because you know that there are a lot of reviews for this book online from um you know uh from abled people with sites talking about the perspective of a blind person and how accurate they felt it was so so i think what was important to us was to bring the perspective of a blind person and we've we, we've got an excerpt from a blog here from sherry wells jensen who is a professor of linguistics at bowling green state university um and and the message that uh, Sherry's trying to really get across is that Marie doesn't really do an awful lot for herself as a blind person, and that and that seems to be what's what's really um, bothered her about the book. She says here, Marie really doesn't do much for herself in the novel. She doesn't put on her own shoes, button her own coat, or help out around the house. Her ability to find her way around is constructed and controlled by her father, who builds obsessively detailed models for her to use in navigation. Until the model is complete, she does not leave the house alone. Uh, in case you didn't know, not a single blind person I have ever met would count 38 storm drains on a walk downtown. We walk to work to the bakery and back home again and manage this without the benefit of a single 3D model of park benches as we pass. We can also tell night from day we carry our own luggage. We don't need to use a rope tied from the kitchen table to the bathroom to navigate inside the house. 
Um, I just thought that was really interesting. And I think that if if you do have a visual impairment and you would like to share your views on this book, if you've if you've listened to it and we do recommend that you you give it a go. Um, we do have a caliber book line, which you can reach on 01296 380553. Um, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, any any final thoughts on the impact that the book had on had on you, Emma? Yeah, actually, there's one of the things that I thought really just in terms of sort of the symbols that I guess we we took away from it and how it impacted. There's a really a couple of times there's a phrase um, that's used, which is uh, I think it's open your eyes and see what you can with them before they close forever. And that to me is I think everything I've read and there's a lot to take away from it. I think that's the one thing that I really took away so once I'd finished the story um I think it's only mentioned a couple of times in it but it really that's the, the sentence that stood out and I just thought yeah everything that that book is about is is just have you know sort of even if if it's not necessarily seeing in in the physical form it's experiencing the world as much as you can um and you know knowing knowing what's right from wrong and, and the you know how you interact with people and um how your opinions of people uh, don't don't base your opinions on people because of a certain thing you know it's it's there's much more to people than than you know either their disabilities or um the fact that they're part of the hitler youth just because they're part of hitler youth doesn't mean to say they're a bad person that sort of thing it's it's kind of having your eyes opened in in a wider sense really um so yeah i think that's the what i took from it really. any closing thoughts denise um, I think it was the the shared humanity really between people on both sides and and that was that sort of lifted you a bit because obviously part of the story is quite grim in, in parts. All the Light We Cannot See is available on streaming via play.caliber.org.uk now and it's also available on USB sticks. You can call our membership services on 01296 432 339. The book number for all the light we cannot see is 010612. So we'd like to get you guys involved in the next episode by choosing the book that we discuss. Uh, we've got three options for you, Emma, if you want to read those out. So the three books that we've chosen uh, for you to vote on are TikTok by Simon Mayo, which is a thriller. Um, this is where teacher Kit Chaplin can't understand why some students at his North London school are experiencing an extreme ticking noise in their ears. Perhaps it's just a severe form of tinnitus, but only days later it spreads to more students and starts leaving bodies in its wake. Portraying a chilling worldwide catastrophe through the prism of three individuals, Mayo's new splendidly twisty thriller sees a mysterious tinnitus-like illness take root and start spreading like wildfire. Then we have The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell, which is a historical fiction. Winter 1561, Lucrezia, Duchess of Ferrara, is taken on an unexpected visit to a country villa by her husband, Alfonso. As they sit down to dinner, it occurs to Lucrezia that Alfonso has a sinister purpose in bringing her here. He intends to kill her. Lucrezia is 16 years old and has led a sheltered life locked away inside Florence's grandest palazzo. Here in this remote villa, she is entirely at the mercy of her increasingly erratic husband. What is Lucrezia to do with this sudden knowledge? What chance does she have against Alfonso, ruler of a province and a trained soldier? How can she ensure her survival? The marriage portrait is an unforgettable reimagining of the life of a young woman whose proximity to power places her in mortal danger.
And then lastly, we've got The Museum of Ordinary People by Mike Gale, which is a contemporary novel. Still reeling from the sudden death of her mother, Jess is about to do the hardest thing she's ever done, empty her childhood home so that it can be sold. But when in the process, Jess stumbles across the mysterious Alex, together they become custodians of a strange archive of letters, photographs, curios and collections known as the Museum of Ordinary People. As they begin to delve into the history of the objects in their care, Alex and Jess not only unravel heartbreaking stories that span generations and continents, but also unearth long-buried secrets that lie much closer to home. If you'd like to cast a vote on any of those three books for the next Book Bites podcast, you can email us on book.bytes at calibre.org.uk or you can call our membership services team on 01296 432 339. Thank you for listening and thank you for joining me, Denise and Emma. Mm-hmm.